This is Privacy Matters, the data protection podcast from Be Secure. Hello and welcome to episode three of Privacy Matters, a series of podcasts brought to you by Be Secure in association with Channel 103. We're talking about data protection in the real world, what it means for you, your rights and your business. And we'll consider what's likely to happen in the world of data protection in the next five to 10 years. In each episode, we focus on one particular aspect of data protection, mining the knowledge of our expert, Brian Siney from Be Secure, a niche consultancy business providing professional services to clients in the Channel Islands, the UK and across Europe. Brian is truly a data protection expert with more than 25 years of experience of both commercial and financial services businesses in Jersey, and he is the only person in the Channel Islands to have the three IAPP accreditations. Today, we'll be talking about data protection as it relates to us, the citizen consumer. What are our rights? How do we enforce them? And if it goes wrong, to whom do we complain? Brian, hello and welcome. Hello, James. Thank you very much. Let's start, as we are prone to do, with an update on some of the global news stories as they relate to data protection, particularly in this instance, as they relate to the world of the citizen. We're going to look at the citizen's rights and the key aspect of enforcing your data protection rights, which are very, very relevant. So in the Supreme Court in the UK, we have a very interesting case going through at the moment which related to a case known as Richard Lloyd versus Google. It is all around class actions and whether such class actions would be allowed to be enforced in the UK courts. At the moment, there is a concept of the GLO, Group Litigation Orders, where people opt in to different cases to participate in seeking compensation for data breaches. Under this Supreme Court case, class actions will be very, very different. It will allow people to join cases and should they want to, they can opt out of the case. But this automatic right to be included in the case is very, very significant. And certainly in light of a lot of data breaches around Facebook and other social media companies, it will provide a very, very interesting avenue for citizens to seek redress. Another interesting case is the cybersecurity incident in Ireland in the Irish health and hospital sector, where they had suffered a ransomware attack where the hackers were looking for 20 million euro in ransom to be paid. And updated news on it was that the cost of this hack could actually cost the government 100 million euros and counting. So there is a big concern that post remedy for this hack, that people will actually seek redress and potentially will sue the government for the breach of the data, and especially where data has been published on the dark web, increasing the risk of people being attacked for cybersecurity or other ransomware attacks. So there's the potential of my data ending up on the dark web and being used by criminals for all sorts of nefarious means. Certainly, as we know that when data ends up on the dark web, the information is for sale and it can be for sale for a very low price. And if you imagine the risk to the individual, if I was to say to you, what information would I need to get from a data subject to be able to impersonate that citizen or to be able to scam them in relation to trying to defraud them of money? So your name, your email address, your phone number, and even your tax number, your social security number, patient records, all those information items are at the higher end of the risk to the data subject. And that's what's most concerning. And we can see a lot of phone scams post-COVID-19 where people were asked to provide their information for tracking, trace and tracking purposes. 
one has to be very careful and wonder, has all of those organizations that collected that data looked after the information securely and to make sure that there are no post-COVID-19 scamming events that you might be a victim to. So, Brian, what are some of the newer enhancements that we're hearing about when it comes to citizens' data protection rights? So when GDPR came in, one of the key aspects, certainly that was publicised very clearly, was about the new and enhanced rights under the GDPR legislation. A lot of the rights were originally there under the previous data protection law, but they have been given more power, more clarity around what a data controller can and cannot do with the information. An example would be in relation to the new rights, the right of data portability. You request an organisation to effectively lift up your data, provide it to you electronically and send it either to you or to another data controller. And certainly that's going to be very important for e-commerce businesses for anybody who's collecting data belonging to customers to be very aware that the customer can ask for that information to be transferred either to another maybe competing organization or to the data citizen themselves. And the next important one is around the right to be able to request the erasure of your data. And what people need to be very careful of is that these rights, in some cases, are not absolute rights. So there will be certain conditions, certain exceptions apply to these rights that the data controller will need to consider when they face the request. Another very publicised data protection right, which was around consent. Certainly we've all heard about cookies and the consent to use your cookies. So targeted advertising, behavioural advertising relies on the cookie information that's collected from your browser and your device. And we see that lots more restrictions are coming into place, giving the citizen the right to say no, to be able to switch off the cookies and to avoid being traced across the internet. And that is certainly a quite an evolving area. And in cases in France in particular, I think Google was fined 50 million euro in relation to the use of the misuse, I should say, of the cookies within their business. You're listening to Privacy Matters, the podcast series exploring the world of data protection and privacy, powered by Be Secure. I noticed when I was updating my iPhone's uh, iOS software recently that there was a prompt, a message from Apple essentially saying I now had to opt in in order to receive targeted Facebook advertising, which was something I hadn't clocked before. But very much it felt like Apple were on my side as the citizen, making me aware that Facebook would be monetizing my my usage. Yes, there's a very big battle happening between Facebook and Apple at the moment. And Apple really have the power to be able to switch on and off these features in the context of providing the capabilities for organizations such as Facebook to be able to collect the information from cookies. So Apple have positioned themselves very much as the leader, if you so describe, a leader in privacy in that space. Now, that could be questioned whether that's authentic or not, but certainly they are putting themselves forward simply because they are the gateway into the use of the social media platforms because we all use our smartphones. And that's why Apple are taking the lead in that space. But a very key point around this is the cookies is one of the fundamental principles, which is about purpose limitation. If I give you my data, I'm giving it to you for a purpose. And one of the big problems that GDPR is trying to solve are platforms like social media companies, the big tech, collecting your data and using it for multiple purposes, purposes for which you did not give authorization or consent. This is a very, very big space where problems are being created. 
There's big pressure on regulators to enforce GDPR, which actually has the power to be able to restrict this mission creep, this extension in the purpose for data controllers to use your data. And one of the key features we must keep an eye when we see GDPR decisions being made going forward is, does the effect of the decision from the regulator enhance or restrict the use, the purpose limitation use of our data? And if they do it correctly, we should be confident that GDPR has the power to police the big tech companies. But that has not really been evidenced yet in any of the decisions we've seen. We've seen big fines, we've seen the indication to raise big fines, but the regulators are facing immense battle with the big companies who are defending and trying not to have these restrictions put on them in relation to their business model. How do I, as a citizen consumer, exercise my rights when it comes to data protection? So for your rights, what people need to understand is that you can write to a data controller or an organization that you would like to request your information from. The first key principle is to understand what is your relationship with that company, because you will be asked this question from the DPO or data protection officer of that organization. So the first point would be, were you a customer of that organization? Were you just a member of the public who was concerned that the company might be collecting your data because you're not sure about, for instance, the tracking and cookie and advertising? So the first point of call really is to look and see which organization do you want to request your data from. You can submit the request either by filling in the web forms that a lot of these companies are now using, or you can email them, write into them, or pop in and speak to them personally. So you're not forced to just use one of those methods. And we see in practice a lot of companies insisting on people using one method to contact the organization, for example, using the web form. But no guidance and no rules say that you cannot use other means, by telephone, by email, walking into the company to be able to request that information. And you can understand it from a company's perspective, they're dealing with hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of customers, of course, they want to use a very streamlined method. So when I've made that request, what can I expect back in return? There's a very interesting exercise for some of our companies, our clients that we deal with when they're facing requests coming in from customers. And what people need to understand is if you're on the receiving end of a subject access request, one of the very first questions you will be asked is, number one, what is your relationship with the company? Were you a customer, an ex-employee, a supplier, etc.? The next question you will be asked for is your identification. We need to make sure that you are the person that you say you are. If the company gives out data to the wrong person, they've committed a data breach themselves. So the company is obliged and legally obliged to make sure that they are comfortable that they have correctly identified the individual. The second step is that the data subject will be asked to provide clarity around the scope of the information that they're looking for. So you can imagine if you say to a bank, I want all my records from the very first day I walked into the bank. It's difficult for banks to be able to quickly and efficiently get you that information. So companies will ask you to please clarify what is the scope of the information you're looking for. Is it just information in the last week, in the last year, in the last two years? Is it to do with your shopping details, your ordering details or other information? 
So the citizen needs to be aware that in order to have a successful experience with data subject access request, they must understand the questions that the data controller will be asking of you. And how long would that organisation, say the bank in that example, have to assemble that data and, and send it to me? Under the Jersey Data Protection Law, they have four weeks to respond and they can extend that by a further eight weeks if they need to because of the complexity of the request or they encounter problems with the data search. One of the key things that the data controller needs to understand is that they must engage with the customer during that 28-day period, within that four-week period. And the reason for that is if they are encountering problems, they need to let the data subject be aware that there may be a delay, but also the data controller needs to understand, is there an urgency to the data that's being requested? And that's really, really important for both the citizen and for the data controller to understand. Is there an urgency to the information? What is it going to be used for? How can you very efficiently and effectively help the data subject to get the information that they need? But it is possible to extend. I think when you look at the guidance from the regulator, they would suggest and say to you that the extension is more of an exception than the norm. Companies really need to engage and deliver the solution and the answer within the four-week period. That said, COVID-19 came along and put lots of pressures on lots of organisations and the regulators have been very amenable to those organisations and allowed a little bit of understanding, a little bit of extra time for data controllers to be able to reply to those requests. This is Privacy Matters, the data protection podcast series from Be Secure, the Channel Islands experts in data protection, advice and services. Is the organisation allowed to make a charge for digging out my data? Under GDPR, you're not allowed to charge for a data subject access request. That said, if it's a repeated request, if it's a vexatious request, if it's an excessive request, and there are very high thresholds for the data controller to meet, in those circumstances, the request can either be refused or they can suggest a charge. But typically, there should be no charge for the citizen asking for a copy of their information. Brian, what happens and what are my rights when it all goes wrong? When I get somebody else's data inadvertently or I get in inaccurate data as it pertains to me, what should I do? Where should I go? I looked at the Jersey Regulators Annual Report just to see if they provide an analysis of complaints and what type of complaints have come through. And they had 494 complaints in 2019, of which 52% of them were around breaches and nearly 30% of them were called complaints. Now, it's not broken down into exactly what those complaints are, but when we look to the UK for a similar analysis, actually subject access requests is the highest topic that's complained about. And I think that could be around number one, either the citizen is exercising their enhanced rights under GDPR, seeing how the organisation responds. Maybe the company is not up to speed with being able to provide very efficient and quick turnaround in those requests. Or it could be simply that the customer is not receiving the data that they're expecting. And that's why going back to the earlier point about clarity at the start, what are you asking for? What is your relationship with that company? And what's the scope of the information? Is it last week, last month or last year? And that's really important because for me, if I was DPO, to be able to very quickly answer your question within the time frame that I'm allotted under the law, I need to understand those key pieces of information. 
That said, the other side of the coin is where we see companies asking for too high a threshold in data for verifying the customer. And an example would be if I sell flowers to you as a flower shop, I don't need to ask you for a power of attorney. I don't need to ask for a lawyer to certify your ID. And the reason why that's important is that one looks to the categories of information that that company would look after. If it's on the low risk spectrum, one would not expect to receive from the data controller request for a very high threshold of verification from a data subject. Also, as one can imagine, if you're dealing with the banks or the medical sector, if you're dealing with financial services, of course, they're going to ask for the higher threshold of evidence. But it's important for citizens in particular to understand why they would be asked for a higher threshold of information to be able to identify them correctly. But it is very interesting that subject access requests in particular are the ones that are most complained about. And I think there's a lot of work still to be done around that, both from a data controller perspective, maybe the processes are not lean enough, not explained more clearly to them to be able to provide that experience in a very efficient and effective way. And what escalation process exists if I feel I'm not being taken seriously? When complaints arrive into the regulator, so number one, the regulator would say, have you gone back to the data controller to try and resolve the complaint? So step number one would be go to the data controller, go to the company you've asked for the information and just check if they've misunderstood what you're looking for. And if there's a reason why they're refusing to give you your information, you must try and establish the reasons for that. Step two, go to your regulator. Here, it's the Jersey Office of the Information Commissioner. In the UK, it's the ICO. And complain to them. And they have an online form which you can complete and provide information to be able for them to start an investigation into the process and what's gone wrong. And they will liaise directly with the data controller to establish the facts. The regulator will have a set period of time to be able to investigate. They will be under an obligation to keep the data subject or the citizen informed of the progress on that request. But I would say to the citizens to be very aware that's not a quick process. That can take maybe two months or even longer for the regulator to be meeting their response deadlines back to the citizen. So it's important if you have any urgent matters that need to be investigated, that you emphasise the urgency with those requests. If the regulator investigates and establishes that there is something wrong, then the regulator has the power to be able to provide sanctions, recommendations, instructions, or even fine the company for not adhering to the data protection law. The third step is, if you're unhappy with what the regulator has done, you can complain about the regulator. So you can put in a formal complaint to the regulator and that will get investigated by the authority that looks after the efficient running of the regulator. And finally, if you're not happy with any of that, then you have the right to go to court. And you have the right to go to court under private action to complain that your data protection rights were not enforced correctly. Brian, can you remind us of the key rights as they relate to citizens and data protection? There are eight in particular that we really should go through. So the first one is the right to be informed. So effectively, we've heard a lot of information over the last couple of years about privacy notices, companies spending lots of time writing privacy notices, and the question about whether we as citizens spend the time reading these privacy notices. So the right to be informed is referring to that document. Your data should not be processed outside of the terms of that privacy notice. 
and it really is up to the citizen to make sure that they read them and understand them. Now, obviously, that creates its own challenges depending on which service and data controller privacy policy you're reading. The second one is the right of access, and that is the right for the citizen to be able to request a copy of their information. And we will go through that in a little bit more detail shortly. The next one is the right to rectification. So if there's information held about you that is incorrect, you have the right to be able to request the data controller to correct that information. So accuracy of the data is key under that particular section. The right of erasure or the right to be forgotten as it was very publicly broadcast is around information that is gone beyond its usefulness, that is irrelevant, that is not correct, inaccurate information. And that information can be subject to this right of erasure. However, it's not an automatic right. I can't go into the bank and say, I'd like to exercise my right of erasure. Delete my mortgage, please. It's not that type of right to be forgotten. So there will be other laws that will apply to these particular subject matters that will override data protection. But the right of erasure is about removing information that's gone beyond its purpose that's irrelevant or in the case of criminal records we see some cases where if you've got a spent conviction that goes back many many years that affects your ability to get employment or to progress they have been successful in the past to be removed and the next one is the right for restricted processing so if i hold a lot of information about you and i write to you and i say actually i do not need two or three pieces of information anymore because I'm not using it for the purpose it was originally attended. And I ask you, would you like me to erase it? You could say, no, hold on to it, please, and implement the right to restrict not to use a certain part of that information gathering data. And the other new one is the, the right of data portability which allows you effectively to request a data controller to give you a copy of your data or to transfer that data electronically to another data controller. An example would be a utility company, electricity company, if you're moving from one company to the other company, asking them to transfer your details over. Or if you're changing bank to help you not to have to set up all your direct debits and your standing orders and all the other things that happen in the background. That is, again, caught under data portability, asking one company to transfer data to another with your permission and instruction. And then the next one is the right to object. So where processing is happening under what the lawful basis would be legitimate interest, you have the right to challenge the data controller and say, I would like to challenge why you're using my data. So the right to object can be seen in direct marketing. Why are, you, why are you using my data? Did I give consent to that data? Why are you processing it? Because you think it's your business legitimate interest. And that puts the onus on the data controller to make sure that they have what's known as the balancing test, making sure that the rights of the company is not impinging on the rights of the citizen. There's a fine balance for them to be able to demonstrate to any regulator or to the citizen why they're not infringing the rights of the data subject. So that's a very interesting one, the right of objection. And the last one is the right in relation to automated decision-making and profiling, the right to object to that. And I think going forward, we will see more and more of this happening, whether it's insurance companies, whether it's in banking, or any other sector that's using artificial intelligence to read your application, to read your data, and to make an evaluated decision at the end of it. In other words, do you get health insurance? Do you get car insurance? Will you get that loan for college? 
those tools that use artificial intelligence to make those decisions are known as automated decision making. And that gives you the right to object. And the right to object to those decisions done automatically means that you have the right to request the decision to be re-looked at and re-examined by a human being. A person needs to re-evaluate and come to a different decision or the same decision. This is Privacy Matters, the data protection and privacy podcast with Brian Sione. Is there anything out there that can help citizens understand what their rights are in relation to data protection or are they left fending for themselves? So there are two things we observe in the marketplace at the moment. Number one is the work that's certainly being done by the Jersey regulator. They have done a fantastic job in doing lots of presentations to the members of the public all about the new data protection law. Number two is the website and their app is very easy to use. They have some super tools for people to be able to use in the sense of using the templates to be able to send letters and requests to people and to understand in very layman's language all the rights and how to go about exercising them. The second thing we see is that within the data protection laws, the ability to represent a citizen who has a complaint or who is very aggrieved about a particular complaint. The legislation says that for a person to be represented, either in complaint to the regulator or going to court, must be a registered not-for-profit organisation. And while in Jersey we do not have a privacy activist group, if I should call it that, we certainly do have them in the UK and they're doing fantastic work. We also have one in Europe called none of your business, which is bringing a lot of these big cases against Facebook to create case law in this data protection space. And just just looking at the UK in particular, there are some very well-known privacy activist groups. For example, Privacy International, they have taken many, many complaints and actions against companies under this new data protection law. And you may have heard of Big Brother Watch or One Rights Group. And some of these privacy activist groups in particular have taken the court case around facial recognition. So there was a gentleman in Wales who complained that the police were using facial recognition without his consent, etc. And that went all the way to the the courts, providing the support here from these non-profit activist groups. So very interesting to see what's happening in in the UK to support citizens and to be able to lead the charge in the enforcement of data protection rights for citizens. Brian Siney from Be Secure, once again, a stimulating and helpful conversation. If you're in business here in Jersey or elsewhere and you want to find out more about data protection and your rights, head to besecure-consultants.com and you can listen to other podcasts in this series, Privacy Matters, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or indeed the Channel 103 website, channel103.com. Brian, until next time, thank you. Thank you. And goodbye. Goodbye. Listen to other episodes of Privacy Matters wherever you get your podcasts. And for expert advice on data protection and privacy, visit besecure-consultants.com.